everyone. Here we are again, show 190. That's a lot of nonsense. <laughs> that is a lot of us wanking about golf. We could have called this show Winding About Golf, but we called it Swing Thoughts. Welcome to it. Humble Howard here from the Humble and Fred Show, golf spiritual leader, along with my good, good friend, Coach Tim, golf performance uh, maven. And now, Tim, look at us. 190 episodes. It's ridiculous, really, when you think about it. Yeah, well, if you're watching us on YouTube, you notice that we both sport white beards. That's right. Yes. When we started, we've been doing this for a long. <laughs> right. This is the Rip Van Winkle That's show. Right. When we started this show, we could we weren't even shaving. Uh, this program, as always, brought to you by TaylorMade Golf. Now more than ever, the number one driver in golf. Get Carbon Wood. Uh, maybe later we'll talk to you about the kind of wood you'll get when you use this driver. I knew that was coming. Did you? Oh my did God. you really? <laughs> yes, I did. Oh, I'm yes. so sorry. It's like we're an old married couple. I'm sorry so, for being so obvious. Uh, as well, Jonathan Wong Apparel uh, dresses us uh, nicely during the season. Just a couple quick notes. Later on in the program, uh, I can tell you, speaking of wood, uh, one of our uh, listeners sent me uh, a notice of our uh, friend Scott Fawcett on another podcast and uh, it's the kind of audio that GSL has been waiting for. So I'll play a little bit of audio of Scott Fawcett talking about us and uh, all sorts of stuff coming up. We're going to discuss a couple of things that have been in the golf news recently. We might get to the Saudi golf league, but I definitely know we're going to get to Cam Smith with a three-shot lead. <laughs> you want to talk about a decade teachable moment. Uh, we're going to talk about that as well. But first, let's welcome one of our very good friends. He is a, uh, you know, not only one of the best golfers in Canada, uh, ranked in the top, I don't know what he ranks anymore, fifth, top 1,500 on planet Earth. He's also got a PhD in sports psychology. He is the founder and mental coach at Eclipse Performance. He is Dr. Dr. Charles Fitzsimmons. Look at that sweet angel. Just, just feel free to keep saying that doctor part, Howard. That's, uh, that's, that's always nice to hear. The funny thing is I called you doctor long before you had your dissertation or whatever you people. So I don't even know. Is, is it a dissertation that gets you a PhD? Okay, good. Uh, yeah, 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 you're good. You're good. Yeah. Uh, thanks again for having me on the show, guys. It's a, a, an absolute blast to be here. And uh, for I, we, Charles and I continuing this year, a, uh, I don't know, five-year tradition, we are signed up to be Better Ball Partners. And by partners, I just make sure that is... His water is cold and his, his power bars are in the right order that he likes them. I just, you know, basically drive around in the cart and make sure he feels good. And, and then we and qualify. you're so good at it. So good at it. <laughs> oh, I, I actually, every once in a while, I remember moments from other times when we got into the tournament and I was really hitting it bad. And then I said to you on one hole, I said, oh, I feel like when I do this, I'm hitting it better. And you just kind of looked at me and went, why don't you do more of that then? <laughs> um, Dr. Charles, you're a, you've been a guest on our program many times, but today you've brought a guest onto our program. I have. I've, I've brought with us uh, a gentleman named Andy Matthews, who's the director of golf performance from NeuroPeak Pro, a company that I've had the absolute pleasure of, of partnering with and, and working with over the last 
it's almost been a year now, eh, Andy? So yeah, um, it has. It, it's been absolutely awesome, and and they've got some really really incredible tech that's that's helped me in my game and and helps uh, a, a number of the best players in the world. So just thrilled to have Andy on today to uh, give us a little more background and talk about some cool evolution of the tech too. So yeah. And Andy, Andy. I I had a little bit of an assessment. Charles and I and uh, somebody that works for you, a very nice person whose name I don't remember because I'm 106. I think it was... I think it was Samantha. <laughs> it was Samantha? One, one of the two Samanthas. So you can never be wrong with, mm-hmm. with one of them. But, but let's get right to what NeuroPeak Pro is and why a lot of people, um, yourselves included, think this is kind of the evolution of, of sports performance from a mental aspect. And that mental being your actual brain and how it works and synthesizes information and arousals and stuff. So, Andy, why don't you little, lay a little bit of a, a foundation for us for this discussion? Sure. Thanks, Howard, Tim. Appreciate having me on. Charles, good to see you as well. Um, so NeuroPeak Pro, we're a precision breathing, heart rate variability and brain performance training company. It's a mouthful, but basically what it boils down to is we help our clients understand and optimize their physiology to help them perform under pressure. For a golfer, you know, that might be the first tee of a golf tournament or even playing with our buddies or standing over a six footer with a few bucks on the line or with some of the the tour pros that we work with a few million on the line. But we've all had those moments, right, where we feel a little bit uncomfortable when there's something on the line. And what we do is is dive into that from a physiological level, provide some data and some insight into why that's actually happening and help our clients learn from that and build on top of that through a precision breathing and brain performance training practice. Can you give us an idea? Uh, now, does one put on um, kind of a headset thing or some kind of thing that monitors your pulse, or how does it work? Yeah, so the, the foundation of what we do, Tim, is is in precision breathing. And some of the equipment that, that Charles alluded to at the beginning was a really cumbersome set of, of equipment. There was a laptop. There was a wired encoder, breathing belt, finger sensor to measure heart rate and heart rate variability. Um, And what we've done over the last 15 months, kind of our COVID project, if you will, was to take a lot of that technology that was really only available to some of the the best um, and top athletes in the world, but then make it scalable, make it accessible. Charles is holding it up right now. It's called the NeuroPeak Pro Intel Belt. Vanna, show them what they want. And and by the way, I've seen Charles wear that thing and he pulls it off. Not a lot of people can, but he really does make it work. Howard, this this is the new and extended model. Oh my goodness. It's got all the bells and whistles on this one. You don't wear like a miner's uh, lamp to you? No, no. No. So, so Tim, actually, that's a Yeah, for people who aren't watching this, um, that's what it kind of looks like. It looks like a, a almost like a headband with a uh, with some data on it. But but Andy, if I may, you just, need to let Andy explain how it's worn. Well, but I was going to say before we, I, I got to be honest with you, Tim. Before we jump into how it's worn, yeah. I was kind of wanting to get if we can just go back a just roll back a little bit because the how is interesting, I, I, fascinating to me because I've seen it in action a little bit. But I just kind of wanted to get Andy to maybe lay the foundation more about, so we all know that golfers and athletes have arousal levels and brainwave activity that's variable. 
But why is that? Well, first of all, because I know Tim and I and, and Charles, we talk a lot about, <clears throat> excuse me, breathing as it relates to meditation, mm-hmm. about being focused, about being feelings of anxiety, etc. So NeuroPeak identifies these. And then how do you, before we get to the mechanics, how, how has this, how has the NeuroPeak program, what does it do to affect golfers in a positive way? Yeah. And I think where to start is, you know, we all breathe, right? But if we're not doing it properly, we can actually send a signal to our nervous system and ultimately the brain that we need to be up for something. Our body starts to move into that, that fight or flight state. The cool thing is our body's doing exactly what it's designed to do on a physiological level when it's sensing a threat or sensing stress in the environment around us. And when that happens, there are a number of physiological functions that happen. Our heart rate goes up, our breathing gets faster and usually shallower into the chest, our palms might start sweating, hands might start getting cold because the body's starting to divert some blood towards the core to protect our vitals. This is all part of our body's natural stress response. And frankly, It doesn't really know the difference if you've got that six footer to win a few dollars off your buddies or if you're getting chased by a saber tooth tiger. There's there's not a whole lot of distinguishable differences between between that one might be a little bit more. But still, there's there's that stress response. But Andy, if I may just jump in, it would depend on how many strokes you're getting from the tiger, because if you're not getting two (laughs) or three aside from the tiger, that's bullshit. Um, (laughs) But this is the saber tooth tiger, not. Oh, okay. But but it's interesting because even even an amateur golfer listening to this can relate to some of those things that you talk about, that feeling, those feelings of anxiety and and how your mood shifts. And and then afterwards, you're thinking, you know, I don't know what happened to me there, but there's. Mm -hmm. And again, Tim and I, we talk a lot about breathing and regulating and being focused. But NeuroPeak. Is, has taken this to a different level where you're breathing, how it, maybe talk a little bit about how it affects your brain waves and why affecting your brain waves optimizes performance. Well, you guys started to touch on it too when you talk about meditation and, and how breathing is the foundation of that. Um, you know, when we have an opportunity to slow the system down, we can get into that sweet spot, into that calm, creative, focused state that we that we kind of all seek when we're intentional about a meditation the cool thing is you know that's a similar state that can be found on the golf course as well and a lot of players would describe it as the zone right and often elusive maybe kind of move in or out of it by chance When you start to break it down from our perspective and our experience on tour and all the science um, behind what we do, we see that breathing is very much the foundation of of that process. And if we can do it right, and by doing it right, I mean breathing closer to six breaths a minute and a few light bulbs might be going off because typically what we see is clients and um, individuals alike are walking around, breathing around 15, 16 breaths a minute. So here we are living our daily lives, sending a signal to our body that we need to be up for something when there's really nothing to be up for. Mm-hmm. 
And when we start to make that connection between how powerful the breath can be to one, influence the heart. When we slow the breath down, the heart actually has a chance to entrain itself to our breath around that six breaths a minute pace. That influences our autonomic nervous system, which is the part of our body dipping into the science here a minute that takes in cues from our environment and says, how should I react to this? Is this truly a life or death situation or is this just a three footer? (laughs) And that autonomic nervous system obviously connected to to the brain and starts to influence, hey, does it move the brain into that that fight or flight state as well? So it's a very, I will say it's a bottom up approach in terms of what NeuroPeak Pro does as it starts with breathing versus meditation or mindfulness, which is say top down. Mm-hmm. I think you're. Well, I think what you were getting there a moment ago was you talked about the six breaths a minute. I think if that was correct. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering, like, okay, why does someone need some kind of, I'll just say device, because I don't understand it completely what your offering is, um, versus just uh, being aware that, oh, I need to, I need to breathe. To, to take breathe your breathing slowly. down to it, to slow it down. Exactly. Yeah. So maybe I'll throw that one to Charles just to bring him in uh, on that. So why, why do we need some kind of device when, we, when, when most people who play know, like, oh, yeah, I got to not breathe uh, quickly, and I need to breathe deeply. Or, or maybe part of the question, Charles, is what does NeuroPeak do to help you train that versus just be a, just an awareness of you know monitoring your breath, as Tim says. One of the things that's really important, as you guys know, is data. Right? Um, data is the the foundation of all kind of knowledge and and a real ability to sense change. And I think what NeuroPeak does so well is give you objective data about this kind of stuff. And so you can track over time. Yes, you know, NeuroPeak does say, hey, if you want to go try just a breathing pacer to get into that pace, they say, go do it, right? Because you can kind of start to work on that, getting that right pace. But what they do really specifically is not just monitor the pace, but they also monitor how your diaphragm is being used to make sure that you're breathing deeply enough that you can breathe at that slow of a pace. Because if you're not breathing deeply enough, you're going to basically starve yourself of oxygen at that slow of a pace, which... Uh, you know, it could be good times for a second, but beyond yeah. that, it's not something that you really want to go down. Uh, and beyond that, too, it also then gets into measuring heart rate variability, which is, again, this, this measure of kind of how stressed your body is or how not stressed your body is. And so being able to track that over time and actually see the functional benefits that you're getting from the breathing practice yeah. is really, really powerful because you can see, okay, you know what, my body might be under stress, but I can control that stress mm-hmm. much, much more effectively. And you can see the performance enhancements over time in the way your body is learning to handle stress as your heart rate variability improves and increases um, and, and as your breathing structure improves. And so there's a lot of data that, you know, it's like if you're doing a putting practice and you're tracking, tracking how many putts you make from 10 feet. If you see that putting practice, you see you're making more putts from 10 feet going up, you build confidence. This is the same way that I find with NeuroPeak Pro. As you see your breathing structure improving and becoming more automatic, and you see the data that goes with that in terms of the use of your diaphragm, in terms of your heart rate variability going up, 
that gives you a lot of confidence in knowing that your body is going to be better prepared to handle the stress. And this, by the way, that's all just the breathing. We haven't even talked about the, the neurofeedback stuff, which is super cool and adds a crazy other layer on top of well, it. Well, that's what I, I, wanted to, I wanted to talk a little bit because I, I was lucky enough, uh, one of the SAMs from NeuroPeak, I, I got an assessment and I, I have my data in front of me. I don't know what it means, but there's a couple of, I, I like the areas of optimization and we can talk a little bit about that. But I got a chance after my session, uh, Andy, to watch Charles do a NeuroPeak Pro training session. And it's pretty fascinating. I mean, the the technology, the, the stuff that you guys have devised, the tech itself has gotten streamlined, as you mentioned. But just watching it, it's like anything else you think, oh, you know, we would have just thought, why not just, you know, slow down your breathing. But when you watch somebody training breathing to affect brain waves, yeah. like it really, that's why I said in the introduction, Timmy, it really is kind of another level now of peak performance training that, you know, maybe isn't for the guy trying to break you know, 90 or it is, but you can see that it's a le- it's the bleeding edge of this kind of the evolution of, of training your body for its mm-hmm. optimum uh, abilities. So either of you, Charles or, or Andy speak to that. Yeah. Howard, I, you bring up a really good point and you just, you look at the evolution of the game over say the last 15 or 20 years, club and golf ball enhancements, like really, really dialed in, People started getting in the gym because they saw that distance mattered. Uh, they had the opportunity to start dialing in that equipment with a track man or a flight scope or a foresight launch monitor. That data is really starting to inform these decisions. And what we're hearing from, from our players on tour and, and otherwise is that this type of training precision breathing and brain performance training is that is that next that next thing that nth degree differentiator between a lot of players who are really good at what they do but are continually in search for that for that next thing and and that's where you know we've been fortunate to be in a position with the technology and the experience to be able to bring this not only out on tour the last few years but um, frankly, to the masses as of late with the Intel belt that people can get started on the exact same training protocol that that Charles has gone through, um, that Bryson DeChambeau has gone through, Jordan mm-hmm. Spieth. I mean, we have, you know, over 30 players now on all the major tours across the across the globe that are, are working with us on this. And so, yes, it, it may be new. There's a, there's a ton of science behind it, but when you start to look at um, how this is impacting, you know, world golf rankings, um, money in their pocket, FedEx cup points, but also how they're handling themselves off the golf course as well. The science behind what we do doesn't change, whether you're making a six footer for your living or you know, you're a student athlete and you're walking into your next chemistry exam. What about trying to ask, answer a question from your girlfriend or partner as to why you're doing something? Because I've never come up with an answer for that. Why are you doing that? I go, I don't know. I just left that. Why did you leave that open? I have no idea. I just did. When she asked the question, did your, your <laughs> yes. breathing get really oh, shallow? No, absolutely. And you yeah. cold? Your body yeah. goes into no, fight does. or flight really you know, quick. Why did you turn there? I don't know, honey. Um, Char- <laughs> Charles, what did you want to say? Let me jump in and, and give kind of two uh, two stories, one about myself and, and one about another athlete. And maybe that'll kind of start to, to give you some idea. 
one of the really cool things is, you know, all athletes a lot of times, oh, oh, I need to help, need help with being nervous or stressed around competition, that kind of thing. It's amazing how often when I hear athletes who really struggle with it, I hook them up and I do a quick breathing assessment with them and how bad their breathing is, how fast it is and how much it's in their chest. And I had one athlete who I worked with who, you know, we just focused on the, the breathing stuff, right? And really kept it really, really simple. And she went to this big competition, I want to say, you know, two or three months later after kind of working on this for a consistent period of time. And she was usually crippled with kind of nervousness and anxiety going into it. And then she she sent me a message afterwards. She said, I think there's something wrong with me. <laughs> I, I felt totally fine going into this tournament. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and of course, she had an amazing competition because for the first time, she could actually be excited about going into competition, but not even excited. She could be that calm, focused state, right? And, and so she was able to perform much better and, and just have a way more fulfilling uh, experience that way. And I think that's what's really, really cool. But then, uh, you know, beyond that, when you start to get into the higher levels, including the neurofeedback, because that's just the effect of the breathing. And with her, we did a little bit of work with my tech, but really most of it was just her using a breathing pacer to, to Tim's point, right? Yeah. Um, so there, there is simple ways that you can do this stuff. But honestly, if you can do it with the tech, it's, it's way better. So you now, said you had a second example. Yeah, you had you yeah, have so a, the, a story. The second example was for me, when I first started working with NeuroPeak, you know, I had a background in all of this stuff, but I really started to, to train a lot deeper into it. And the combination of the way it gets your brain to be calm and focused through the combination of the breathing and the neurofeedback, the neurofeedback is basically super advanced meditation where in meditation, rather than having to catch yourself when your mind wanders and bring it back, the neurofeedback actually gives you a, a cue right in front of you. And so to Howard's point, you know, I was doing the training. I think I was watching a, a golf video on YouTube or something like that. And basically when I'm focused, when I'm in the zone that my brain is needing to be in, which is customized based on an assessment for each person, the video plays. But when I lose focus or when my brain starts to shift, that video turns off. And so it gives you instant feedback about whether you're in that zone that you need to be in. And so it really does train you. And I've seen with their data that my focus and my ability to stay in kind of that zone has gone from, you know, 10 or 12 seconds up to on average in the 40, 50 second range. Mm -hmm. That means that I can be totally engaged and fully present for a golf shot. And I remember the first tournament I got to play after completing their training was the Ontario match play. And I had never felt so calm and so focused in such big moments. And it was just incredible. It was an eye-opener to me about the power of this kind of technology because it's so effective. Again, it's so much more giving you that feedback. It happens so much quicker rather than sometimes in meditation you can kind of lose yourself for a little bit before you need to kind of catch yourself and Mm -hmm. bring yourself back. So that that technology feedback is so, Mm -hmm. so powerful. Uh, And just as one little point to throw in there, it did happen to win that match play event. <laughs> oh, did you? Oh, okay. I did. Well, in you know, in, in Charles, you you bring up a really good point. Is you know, we don't know unless we don't know what we don't know until we have a chance to measure it, right? Yeah. And we talk about the breathing around six breaths a minute. You know, to be able to show someone how poor of a breather they are and be able to explain how that's affecting their nervous system and ultimately the brain. And then the same thing with the neurofeedback training, we all who we all are who we are individuals and we're not going to ever change that. But there's certain things that we do. We have tendencies when we're, we're under pressure or not just kind of living our day to day. And there's certain things that our brain is in those patterns. And when we can identify um, some opportunities to improve that, and, and whether that's tied up to a goal to improve, fo- improve focus or 
kind of lower that stress response, whatever it may be, that's when kind of that that magic happens, as as Charles was saying, where you can find that that calm, creative, focused state on the golf course and play some really good golf and be excited about it. Andy, I wanted to ask you um, on behalf of, say, the average person listening who, who isn't going to be playing match plays and tournaments yeah. and, and why breathing and, and being in control of some brainwave activity, even at a cursory level, what does that what what does not having control of that do to somebody physiologically? It's it, why why it's I think for a lot of people, it's why they they wonder in a, in a situation whether they're playing for a couple dollars against their buddies mm-hmm. or in the club championship, why they don't they don't seem to have the same access to their physical skills. So so why is this an Im- impediment to that? Let me finish this long question by saying, and how does this area of optimization improve that for the average player? So I think the best way to think about it is like a speedometer, right? You, you, we can all relate to feeling really fast when we're, when we're under stress and that's our body moving into that fight or flight state. And frankly, Howard, when it's in that state, it could care less about hitting a golf shot or making that putt to your point about where does that access to skill go? Your body's just trying to get through or get over the next 30 or 45 seconds. It does not care where that golf ball is going to go. So if we have the chance to then start to slow things down and allow our body to tap into that, that skill that we know we've seen a thousand times on the practice tee or Mm -hmm. when we're out on the golf course by ourselves, it's like, why do I feel like such a completely different person when there's something on the line, regardless of, of what it is? Yeah. And so it, it really gets back to that. Our body's kind of innate stress response or, or fight or flight. And how can we start to influence it of all the automatic things our body does? The breath is the one thing that we can get back to that we can be really intentional about and allow everything kind of up the chain from there to start to to find rhythm in that. What I find really interesting about this is that I think we're in a space now in this conversation where our listeners may be able to start making some connections. Like, why can I not take my range game to the golf mm-hmm. course? Why can I go low in a casual game but choke my freaking guts out in a tournament? And it's just like you guys both said, it's an access issue. It's not that we suddenly forgot how to play golf or, you know, just suddenly this talent, skill, experience we have, we just can't access it because our body's been an uproar. And the thing that um, that I talk about with a lot of my clients and is our awareness. Mm-hmm. And is it and having an awareness that, oh, my heart is beating faster now. Oh, I'm caught in going back into my Rolodex of swing thoughts or whatever. So are you saying that NeuroPeak has a way to help you with that awareness piece? Definitely. I, I think it's, it's an awareness piece. It's almost like putting a, a thermostat on, on your body. You, you get a better, a better awareness, more in tune to what your, what your body's doing and what it's feeling. But not only is it that awareness piece, it's, when that awareness clicks in of like, man, I am feeling a little bit amped right now. I've then got that tool in my toolbox to start to, to slow things back down. 
And there's a couple of ways that we coach it. Um, you know, there's some coaching videos in, in the app that, that Charles has been working with as well, is that what can we do to get ahead of that? We know we're going to be excited or even nervous on the first tee of a round of golf regardless. So can we do five or 10 minutes before we get to the first tee to kind of hit that reset button? So one, we're proactive and not just reactive to the stress that we know is inevitable on the golf course. But then when we are in the the throes of a match, can we start to turn the volume down a little bit? We're not ever going to train the nervousness out of you or the excitement out of you, but it keeps you alive. (laughs) Absolutely. And it's why so many of us play the game because it's fun and it's exciting and it's challenging. If that was gone, well, we would never play the game, but if we can employ a tool that we all walk around with every day, our breathing and our brain to be able to, to start to dial that in a little bit more, we're going to have more fun and we're going to play more golf. The the analogy I like to use with my clients is it's kind of like eating a meal. When you do that five or 10 minutes of breathing before, it kind of fills you up, right? And it's mm-hmm. going to keep you full for a while, which is going to make you more resilient to stress. But mm-hmm. when you get stressed and you tap into some of that fullness and you start to use some of that energy, you can just take a little snack on the golf course to kind of fill yourself back up and, and be able to be in a good Ooh, position. I like that. Yeah. Right? And, and so it's incredibly powerful. And, and again, you know, one of the great things that I remember Andy and I talking about right at the beginning, he said, listen, you know, we're training you to breathe, but we're training you to breathe so you can play golf. You're not trying to win a breathing competition, I believe. This is a good <laughs> yes. effort, right? And so what, what really hey, is... Iron Man breathing <laughs> I suspect yeah. you yeah. are. I, I'll bet you're a scratch breather, though, at least. <laughs> Andy is definitely the the highest plus handicap in in breathing. Um, But I mean, what's so cool is, again, you you put it all this work away from the course that your body becomes trained to go to that state pretty automatically and pretty naturally. Yes, the five or 10 minutes before really cues it in and again, kind of fills you up and gets you to that nice state that you can kind of stay there and little breaths help. But really, I think what's so cool is your body gets there much more automatically. So if you have to use it, it's much more effective in a very, very short period of time. Mm-hmm. A lot of the times, because of your training and the way your body has taken it on, it's much better able to respond to stress. It never gets to quite as an extreme of, of a stress level as you might have in the past. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like any other training we do, whether it's hitting golf balls or you know exercising muscles. You know, there's there's some resilience built in based on your uh, your training. But one of the things Andy said about about how things speed up, you know, that's so relatable again, to the average player and all of us that have played where it's just interesting how when you're having a kind of less than optimum hole, you're in the middle of a triple bogey, you know, nightmare, how it all seems to speed up. And I'm not, I'm being partly facetious because it almost seems like at the end of that bad hole, you're like, it, it, it happens so fast. And I mean, not only is it happening physically faster but your perception of time and what you said about andy your body doesn't care what's going on it just needs to get through the next 30 seconds and that's why very often golfers you know i i say to some of my clients i say you know in the in the middle of every triple bogey there's a double bogey or a a bogey that you were just one decision away from making my point is sometimes we don't make those decisions because our brain activity and our breathing aren't allowing the moment and space that we need to make a better, you know, a, a better decision, Andy. Yeah. And I think it goes hundred percent. It goes back to what, what Tim started saying is like, there's that awareness piece, right? You just, you lose that, 
that space time continuum, if you will. And it's, you look back and like, what the heck just happened? I blacked out and I'm now I'm writing a seven or an eight on the scorecard. Um, And in the middle of it, and, and, and conversely, and we've talked a lot about this too, that in those moments of clarity and awareness, when you are, you know, in the zone for whatever amount of time you're in it, it just seems like you've got all the time in the world and that decisions right. are, you know, all seem to make sense. And isn't it weird? You seem to always have the right yardage and on and on and on. And, and a lot of that, if we look back, there is a, an equanimity to our whole physiology that, is, that we have access to mm-hmm. it using things like NeuroPeak. Yeah. Well, one of the things that's really interesting to me about this is that for a lot of people, it would be like, well, it would be logical. I will keep myself emotionally neutral. <laughs> I will practice awareness and, you know, I'll hit it all at Scott Fawcett's targets and I'll be great. But we're humans mm-hmm. and we screw up. And what the, I think the difference is what you're talking about is, <clears throat> and I love the word training, we can have knowledge. But if we react to the world the way we normally do, we'll always be sucked back in our old behaviors. So tell me how NeuroPeak helps train us into sharpening our awareness. Yeah. So for us, as I mentioned on the outset, it it starts with breathing. And I know that's getting a bit redundant. But being able to show someone how they're breathing, the Intel Belt is a really awesome tool to be able to do that because we're all familiar with Hey, take a deep breath and you see somebody's chest go, <sighs> their shoulders go up, they, they rise up. And while that is actually, you know, almost perpetuating exactly. the nerves that they're trying to get rid of because it's one, quote, deep breath. What we want to be able to do is show them how bad their breathing is, but almost in the same sentence, same session, is show them when you start to do it properly, you can start to influence your heart and your in your nervous system. So that's that's really the first, and it's being able to see it. It's just like hitting a shot on your launch monitor. You can look over and say, what was my spin rate, my launch angle, all of those things, and I can make adjustments based on that. We all have an awareness of the breath at some level, But being able to dial it in precisely and see what the inhale and exhale looks like and are you using your chest or are you able to get it fully down into the diaphragm, there's always been that lack of of feedback, if you will, without having to deploy five or six thousand dollars worth of medical grade breathing technology. And now that's accessible to, to everyone. So that's really the first piece is just kind of showing the, the how and, and why it's, it's happening. And the cool thing is kind of jumping back on that awareness train is, you know, we can show and then there's a little bit more of awareness that goes right with it. Like, OK, I now see how bad of a breather I am. Now I know what good breathing looks like. Now, how can I train that Mm -hmm. with the right feedback and with consistency over time to make that more of a natural thing? So encompassing the breathing training, it's just like making a swing change or working on your putting stroke. You're going to lay out training aids. You're going to use the tools that are available to you so you can be really efficient in that practice and not guess. 
layering on that the brain training aspect to it there that's really passive but it comes down to the data and finding out what areas of the brain might be overworking or underworking and how they're manifesting themselves in your golf game or in your life and again retraining the brain to be able to function more optimally so you can do whatever it is you want to do on the golf course or if you're if you're a nine to five whatever that is be be as good as you can be there too yeah i'll I'll throw in two points i think to to build on that i mean you know tim talking about training musculature right what we're trying to do is train to use those primary breathing muscles down in and around the diaphragm and if you haven't really felt that before it's hard to really engage it in the neuropeak whether it's the intel belt uh, which is obviously their newest and, and best piece which puts all this great tech into a really really small portable package when you're using that you can see whether you're using those diaphragm muscles or not based on a volume metric and in doing that you can actually feel the breathing in a different way and as you start to feel that difference in breathing that helps with not only the awareness but then as you train that over time and you have that metric that you're trying to hit which guarantees that you're doing the the right kind of breathing that's when it becomes really really not only awareness but it it trains that musculature to work properly and Howard, I'll throw one last piece in here in terms of the brain training. My big challenge is I always overthink everything. And it's something we hear from a lot of golfers. I was thinking too much. I was thinking too much. I was thinking too much rather than just playing. And that was one of the things that came up on my neuro, uh, neurofeedback assessment was that my high beta waves, which are associated with that fast thinking, were going, 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 going. And so when I was able to breathe and I was able to do the neurofeedback training, which slowed all that down and brought those back to more optimal levels, that's where I was able to really be calm and focused and, and mm-hmm. be able to really just step in and play the shot rather than being caught in that cycle of overthinking. Well, I can tell you right now, anyone listening, uh, I'm, I, I got to believe you there's parts of this that are new and parts of this parts of this that are affirming what a lot of people already suspected, which is, you know, there's a pathway to optimizing your physiology through controlling your breath and controlling brainwaves that are controlled by your breath, which is part of the education for me. Neuropeak, N-E-U-R-O-PeakPro.com. Andy, before we let you go, uh, I want people to go to that website. You were mentioning a few of the players that you work with. No surprise DeChambeau would be into this. No surprise that... Yeah. You know, really, no surprise that a lot of tour pros, that's kind of where I was heading in terms of the next level, the evolution of elite athletes, athletes, athletic performance. Do you see this uh, as having a um, application for average golfers listening? hundred percent. You know, we all have a stress response and we all can train it to to be to be better. And. You know, if golf happens to be the hook, you know, listeners here in our conversation this morning and say, yeah, you know what? I can relate to some of those feelings on the first tee or where another shot that seemingly seems more important than any other one I've hit today. Um, <laughs> we can we can train ourselves to, to manage that better. And I'll go back to even one of the, the quotes that's that's on our on our website from Ryan Brem, who just won the Puerto Rico Open a few weeks ago. Um, his back was up against the wall. He said, you know, don't do this for your golf, do this for you. He went through golf was the hook for him. He wanted to improve his golf performance and he certainly did. Um, but the positive spillover effects that he has felt as, as an individual, you know, as a husband, as a friend, you know, 
just managing those those seemingly simple situations on a day-to-day basis, whether you're sitting in traffic or waiting in line, you know, that's that positive spillover effect. So you talk about, hey, does this apply to the to the the weekend warrior? Absolutely it does, because this is training that is available to to all of us, whether or not you're a professional athlete or you know, a business professional, a medical professional. Andy, I, I was, I've had some bit of a running uh, bit here on the show. I'm just trying to get to single digit as a boyfriend. Right now, I'm having trouble breaking 80. Yeah. So I, yeah. guarantee, I guarantee this is going to help me with my relationship <laughs> performance. Because, I, again, I've, I've, I've had a couple of rounds in the high 70s lately, but I have a lot of rounds <laughs> that are in the high 80s and 90s. Uh, I'm wondering and, if this is, hey, I'm, I'm wondering if this is going to help me as a bass player in a punk band. Oh, you know, yes. Rather than, needing, rather than needing three pints of IPA before I go on this stage, is this going to enable me just to get on there? But regardless, I probably still have the three pints of IPA anyway. Yeah, why not? Uh, Dr. Charles Fitzsimmons, always a pleasure. Eclipse performance. Uh, and we'll have, you know, Charles is back uh, from time to time andy thank you very much for yeah, uh, taking awesome. some time Thanks, guys and this uh, was uh, and i want to thank you for allowing me to have the uh, the uh, assessment it was fascinating and uh it, you know i think we've all learned enough to kind of get our to whet our appetite go to neuropeakpro.com and uh all the best to you young man thank you really really appreciate it charles howard tim it's been a pleasure we'll see you on the links soon Ah, we hope yeah. so. Guys, you know what? Pre- listen, uh, golf in Michigan is is outstanding. I mean, it's not Ontario, but I mean, it's pretty. It's gonna be the same as here for guys. Yeah, for sure. Andy, take care. Charles, I'll talk to you soon, my friend. There you go. All right, Never. I'm I'm gonna leave you for five seconds. I'll be right back. Yeah, go I'll ahead, explain man. Explain why in a second. Yeah, sure. I don't mind. Andy, take care of yourself. All right, thanks, All right, guys. There you go. Tim, for the first time in 190 shows, just left the. Uh, the recording area. Yeah, I can relate. I've talked to uh, quite a few people lately that have ordered their tailor-made equipment. Ran into some people the other day at uh, Burlington Indoor Golf, our friend Sean Casey's place. Just outstanding. Actually, I was. I ran into Nate, uh, Tim O'Connor, and uh, what is Nate's last name? Robinson, Nate Robinson, Tim's partner in his uh, seminars. I ran into Nate while I was uh, hitting balls at Casey's place. And I ran into another buddy of mine, actually my senior better ball partner, Jamie Cavanaugh. Very, very good player. Just unbelievable. Good golf ball, a good golf ball striker and good golfer. Uh, He did what a lot of people have done. I didn't, but he got the 790s. He got the tailor-made P790s. Uh, four iron, five iron, six iron, I think. And he got the seven seventies, uh, in the shorter irons, which a lot of guys are doing. A lot of better players are doing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I I didn't feel the need to, I I love the seven seventies, but I just wanted the same look throughout the bag. Anyway, my point is a lot of people taking advantage of a tailor made, uh, guy, you know, I, I sent, uh, Nick a note, uh, our friend from tailor made, as you saw, just for some new copy information. But, I mean, I'm watching enough golf on TV. Obviously, the carbon wood technology, everyone's talking about the new, tail- new tailor-made driver. And, uh, you know, I, I've been lucky enough to play some rounds of actual golf with it and uh, really enjoyed the way it feels. You know, can you get more yardage from it? Absolutely. But uh, as Jamie and I were talking, oh, there's Freddie. 
Is that your, that's, that's Timmy's dog. <laughs> and I'll tell you why I had to leave in a minute. So. Okay, okay. But quickly, just to finish, um, but Jamie and I were talking about game, impo- game improvement or game performance improvement and what TaylorMade has done, and again, it's going to sound redundant and cliche, but I don't care, is they've made... The, the driver makes your bad shots better. Your good shots are going to be your good shots, and some of them are going to be beyond what you expect. I've absolutely had that experience with this driver. But my biggest takeaway is, you know, a few kind of necky on the bottom of the club feeling drives that when I went up to the where the ball was, I was surprised. And I'm being honest. I was like, wow, that miss didn't miss as bad as I thought it did. And that's basically what I would say as far as tailor-made and the new performance golf. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. So, yeah, we're recording this, what is it, March 25th? We could be playing golf in three weeks or so, hopefully. Yeah, sometime in the next couple of weeks, there'll be some courses open. Yeah, well, I think the Golf North courses are open in um, southern Ontario April 1st. But, um, yeah, I'm really looking forward. I've just been hitting into the simulator now and – yeah, been loving the driver, but you never really know until you're outside, and so that I'm really looking forward to that. But anyways, you know, <laughs> so during the last ten minutes of the interview, I thought you guys were here. Freddie is outside, so Freddie's Tim's uh, dog, not Freddie, my partner. Yeah, exactly. Anyways, um, Freddie likes to drink in Sean's um, bathroom, and. Uh, <laughs> He's so during the show during the last ten minutes. He's like whining away, and I'm wondering Aww. if that's going to be heard. No, I didn't hilarious. hear anything at all. I actually so, thought you had to get up and do like old man peepees. <laughs> no, no, I'm not. Man, I think I managed it for a while, but anyways. Um, <laughs> couple things I wanted to uh, talk about. I don't know if I want to get into the Greg Norman thing, but I will say that. Uh, they're going to go ahead with that, and uh, Phil Mickelson won't be playing the Masters, which is very, very curious. You know, the PGA Tour doesn't announce their suspensions or their fines, which no. is weird. So, just I don't want to dwell on it because I want to get to some other stuff. But uh, any thoughts about that? I, I, I haven't. We really haven't talked about it much, you and I. Well, as a Roman Catholic, I'd say that Phil Mickelson, speaking as a Roman Catholic, Phil Mickelson is in purgatory right now. Is that so where I he don't is? Know what, I don't know what's going on. It's, it's different than limbo, but anyways. Um, yeah, I, 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 and Phil's spending time with his family now, and I, that's piling on, but um, we'll see what happens there. But what, what was interesting is that this week, in terms of like any news, uh, it's called, what it's called the Premier Golf League. Is that it? This, yeah, no, the um, Saudi Golf P- League SGA. PGL something. Anyways, oh, okay. they so, yes. asked to have a meeting with uh, Monahan, Commissioner of the PGA Tour, and others, and uh, they were rebuffed. They didn't take the meeting. Hmm. And what they're trying to talk about now is integrating their format of what fifty-four hole. Uh, no cut tournaments, limited fields, giving the players a some kind of percentage and, and the tour is just saying no thank you um what norman and he he was making the rounds on podcasts he was on with uh, oh, colt, yeah. colt nost and uh, his partner I, I like their podcast and gravy in the sleaze i think it's called or no that's their that's their serious xm show 
Um, that's not a cooking show. No, actually, it's funny. They're they're good. Uh, it's they started on. Oh, Sir- no, is amazing. No, well, is it? I, it's funny because yeah. before he got on television as much as he has, I've been listening to him for a couple years on Sirius on PGA Tour Radio, and you could kind of hear that he has a an affinity for this stuff, and his partner is a former sort of minor tour pro, like played nationwide level and a very fine player in his own right. But they do a good shot, a good job and a good show. Anyway, they had Norman on. Oh, yeah. And they got some pushback about having Norman on. And as they said, hey, listen, we're doing a podcast. It's Greg Norman. And it was fascinating. But Norman's out making the rounds and making the case to take the other side that he... And the PGA Tour players have the right to play wherever they want because, as he says, they're independent contractors. It's not like you're an NHL player, and while you're playing in the NHL, you shouldn't go play in the European League. These All these characters on the PGA Tour are actually independent. So his point is, why shouldn't they be allowed to go play wherever they want. And of course, the PGA Tour has basically said, if you do that, you'll be suspended for life. And he's trying to, what Norman's trying to push is, is to take this to court and say, you can't do that. But Yeah, but I, I think the PGA Tour would argue that they're not much different than any other major sports league. The, the PGA Tour is the NHL or the MLB. I get what you say. They're independent contractors because you don't play for the, the Edmonton Oilers on the PGA Tour, you you play on your own, but I do see that there has to be a degree of um, I'm not sure what the word would be containment in terms of like consistency. Uh, there has to be if you're going to be a viable league, if you will. So if players are are buggering off all over the place to play in, in different events, and and the tour doesn't have some degree of consistency to tell its fan base, its sponsors that players of a certain uh, ilk are going to be there, then how do you present uh, a a product that's consistent? Yeah, but they already, I think what you're saying is they need a certain amount of accountability, but players already, you know, the tour is filled with players from the Japanese tour, from the European tour, etc. Yes, there's a core group of players and they have already uh, things in place. You have to play a certain number of tournaments. You can't, you're only allowed a certain number of tournaments to be released against, a, you know, to go play against the PGA Tour, you know, a same, the same week of tour events on, etc. And I'm not cheering for it or against it. I just think it's fascinating. And like anything else in life, there is a disruption underway. Which is a good thing. Sometimes can. It certainly will be different. Their first tournament is being played in early June. So they've got some players. I mean, you think about it. There's a we we all, you know, we're we're PGA tour centric. That's where our Canadians play and we watch it. But there's tours, there's stuff going on all over the world. You know, that we don't normally watch or, you know, once in a while I watch a European tour event on a Sunday morning, but rarely do I. So who knows? I mean, I think there's enough players to support it. I don't know how. I think the biggest curiosity, and I'll finish by saying, is it'll be interesting to see who does jump from the PGA Tour. Yeah, just quickly to wrap up this, um, I have no problem with Greg Norman appearing on different shows and people listening to him. That's what needs to happen. Mm -hmm. We need to be – the problem that we have in our culture is that, oh, can't talk to him, can't have this person give a speech on our campus. It might trigger somebody or – or whatever. No, we need more talking. And and as you said, um, he made reference to disruption. That's what moves things forward. 
rather than just being stuck in the way we've always done it and it's sacrosanct. No, we always have to be looking at, at what's happening. That's how things move forward. So uh, Cam Smith, uh, watching him uh, with his three-shot lead in the final hole of the Players' Championship. I don't know. I, first, well, this obviously will we'll begin another round of Decade. Um, well, I, I'll, I'll describe it. You know, I think you know where I would land on this, but he's got a three-shot lead on the last hole of a tournament. The kid behind him who was playing great, Anurban Laharni. Lahar, yeah. Yeah, Lahari. He, at that point, Smith doesn't know that Anurban, Anurban is on his way to making a birdie on 17. But if for no other reason... I just want to talk about the fact that a, a tour play. This is a, a great example of how difficult it is to do the right thing that we all that. But it's easy to understand. So you're in the trees after you've hit driver off the tee, which I wouldn't have done. But he hits driver in the place you're supposed to hit it, which is in the bush. And all he has to do is get the ball back in play. The fact that he was trying to move it up the fairway, which eventually allowed him to hit it in the water, is a mistake that. You know, he, he got away with it. Yeah, of course, he ended up making a 57-yard pitch shot to a foot. But let me just say that I know the statistics around what happened. And he is the one of the best players on planet Earth at hitting that shot. If he wasn't, by the way, you know what his, um, the, the percentage of time that that player, and he's one of the best, would hit that shot to two feet? 7%. That means there's a 93% chance that he won't. And right. then he makes, a, so a lot, my point just is this. That's a great example for the average player because we, we just watched one of the best players on earth almost blow it because they didn't do the thing that makes the most sense. And I agree with you 100%. Yeah, so if he was operating optimally according to say the decade philosophy he wouldn't have hit driver and he certainly would have tried a low percentage shot when he was when he was lining up for that shot through the trees advanced i went why isn't he just chipping this thing out why isn't he going sideways exactly i mean it still would have left a longer shot, but a higher percentage to make to make par to make bogeys. And, All he needs to do is make yeah, exactly, bogey. exactly. So, um, but here's the thing that that that, and, and this is where I think the critics of decade have a degree of a point. But I, you know, I would say I've become a decade nerd. I'm just, <laughs> I'm, I probably watch like at the minimum of two Scott Fawcett videos a day. And I, I rewatch one if I don't get it. But anyways, the thing that that and, and, you know, yes, he who can't be named, Phil Mickelson, Cameron Smith, these guys also have a certain gear of of just we may feel go for itness. They just have this this aggression, which I think at the end of the day works for them, and they're okay whether they win or not. Now uh, because. If if it's always do the right thing to win, there's a degree of perhaps carefulness that might might creep into the game. And maybe it's they've just decided or maybe not even consciously decided, but it's just their style that they always need to be pushing it. 
Mm-hmm. And and I and so I don't know. I think you uh, you make an a, an excellent point that that was a low percentage play what he did. And I agree with you, but I do think perhaps that he has a style of attacking a golf course that works for him and and, and yeah, it for does sure. overall seem to be working. No, I and I I not I get what you're saying. I I think though in that moment on the 72nd hole and by the way, for you real decade nerds, you know that faucet or inside the system, that hole would be a driver hole in the decade world. I, I'm going to say I don't have it. I, I would have to actually go look at Google Earth. But, you know, in decade for better players, you're looking for 60 yards between trouble. Right. So I don't know. Is it 60 yards from the edge of that water to the edge of the trees? I, I don't know. But let's say it is. So when you're playing Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Fawcett would say, send it. He would say, hit driver there. Uh, go, you know, because your shot center, your shot pattern in the right spot. And more often than not, drivers the shot. But, you know, I had this conversation uh, with a couple of different people that I'm working with. Thank you. Um, and I said, the thing is, on the 72nd hole, the the first mistake for me was driver because he hits his forearm. I went and looked it up. Cam Smith's forearm is around 240 yards in that area. I mean, they can hit it as far as they want. So the hole is 470. So let's say he necks a, a four iron, 230 yards, and then he hits another four iron, 230 yards or, or 200, whatever it is. There's just no nothing but bogey hitting four iron. And my one of the people I was talking, well, what, you could pull hook it in the water. No, he's not pull hooking yeah. a four iron. Because here's the thing: at the at that point, even though the guy the guy behind him, you know, he didn't know if he was making birdie, which he did. With a two shot lead, all you still have because if you make bogey, that guy has to make birdie to tie. But if you make double now, which he was well on his way to doing, my point is, in the decade world for an average player. It's more about once you're in the trees, and as Fawcett said, and I, you know, I've watched, you know, I watched a lot of videos, but I am now rewatching, and I'm going through the whole system again, so that when I'm talking to the players that have uh, hired me to help them sherpa through, I'm decade sherpa now, so when I to <laughs> sherpa through the decade system, that I have a familiarity with what they're watching, and one of the things Fawcett says in a video I watched this week is the ninety percent rule. And meaning that if you can't make that shot 90% of the time, which, by the way, Cam Smith could. But the yep. problem was the 10% of the time showed up. Yep. And so what we're saying, I think both saying the same thing, in that moment, even though he could think to himself 90% of the time I'd pull this off, it's just better to go sideways because that takes par out of it fine. But it, do, it also basically, for a player that good, eliminates the double bogey. And that totally, really totally. is that really is the the point of it all, which is eliminating mistakes. That's right. That's right. So <clears throat> my so one of the things that in reading about uh, Cam Smith at the players in that 18th hole is um, he grabbed the driver out of the bag. His caddy didn't even say a thing, mm-hmm. and he like he couldn't say a thing. It was just Cam grabbed it, and he just knew that okay, my player's in his. He's in his his flow, 
And I have a sense that what Smith was doing was just responding on instinct, mm -hmm. that what got him there and what's been working. I agree. I think, I think, I don't know enough about Cam Smith. I but agree, just from, But just from watching, he was operating on instinct. And it's just like, drivers, I've taken driver every every day this week, and it's got me here. That's why I'm here. I'm going with it. And so in many ways, um, it's finding this balance between what what really works for you. Interesting that when we're talking with um, Andy and Charles, and Andy mentioned that, I think he said that Jordan Spieth is one of their yeah. neuro peak players. And I was thinking, like, wow, this could be really good for Jordan Spieth. Because I've often thought that Spieth, um, he gets himself in trouble. I mean, you know, I just watched the guy on TV, for God's sakes. But um, he appears jittery when he's playing, and, and uh, he's always constant a greller and got to touch the towel. And I think it's led to mistakes that he's made. I mean, I, I really think that... Um, yeah, he's got well, a lot he of triple. idiosyncrasies in his, uh, in his approach. Yeah, and like he made that dumb triple in the Masters last year. A bad, you know, like a mistake. Um, so maybe Spieth has identified that he needs to find a way to slow it down and that sometimes his instincts don't exactly steer him right. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I, you're right. I mean, Cam Smith, you know, has just played 71 of the best holes. You know, he's a really high-level player, shot minus 35 or something in Hawaii early. I mean, the guy's a superstar, so who are we to question him? But it's... a uh, what do they call it? It's sort of an in instructive for us as amateurs to see what happens, even at yeah. the highest level when, you know, and I've, I've written down a couple of things to share with others, but I'll share it with you. You know, one of the things that Fawcett says is it's easier to intentionally not lose strokes than it is to intentionally gain strokes. It, and that's 100%. a perfect example of it. Yeah. Because... Remember, only 7% of Cam Smith's shots from that distance of 57 yards go as close as they did. So anyway, all by way of saying that it was a great example of, I, I don't even want to say course management, but course game strategy to not lose strokes is what the amateurs, it's what us you know, hacks need to focus on because, as we've said a bunch of times, this came from Decade, but it also comes from our friend Lou Stagner. A scratch golfer uh, makes an average of two birdies around. A guy that shoots 89 makes an average of just under one, like 3.75. So there's only a one birdie-ish a little bit more than one birdie difference between a guy shooting 89 and a guy shooting 72. So where are the rest of those strokes? Less three putts, less penalty shots, et cetera, et cetera. Decade ad nauseum. <laughs> yeah. Well, what's so cool I found about, um, you know, it's winter. I get more time to read and stuff. Oh, man, I don't know about you, but I am just I decided last night I am tired of winter. <laughs> Let's get on with this, please. Come on. I'm just champing well, it's we both have It's because we both have dogs and have to go out in the dark while it's pissing rain. Exactly. But That's I'm just ridiculous. so champing at the bit to hit a, hit a ball off green grass. Yeah. But um, so, yeah, I've been really been digesting Scott's videos and, and really enjoying it. And w there's so many things. But the key piece, I would say kind of teeing off if you will about that seven percent is expectations 
and that how PGA Tour players, yeah, best players in the world, if you will, hit it all over the place. And I just think that that's such a refreshing thing to understand. Yes. And that when you look at that number, what Cam Smith did there in that moment was amazing. And sometimes that's what, what happens when you do play on on instinct at certain at certain level of player, the Joe Montana's, Tiger Woods, uh, you know, Kobe Bryant's, etc. In those moments, those who are cut from a different cloth mm-hmm. are able to rise to the occasion. And I think Cam Smith did it. There. Yeah, he had an outstanding shot. And, and it all worked out, and that's great, and he won. Uh, yeah, taking nothing away from him. By the way, that's interesting you talk about expectations. That really is, as a decade Sherpa, what I would say is this. If you truly understand the psychology of expectation management, <clears throat> that's that's basically in a sentence what decade yep. is. Learning the psychology of expectation management, knowing what is and and well, two things: knowing what is and isn't a good shot. Because I'll tell you, I, I and I, I'm not. I'm really tickled to be working with the the few players that have reached out to me through this show uh, to help them understand more about decade. And what I've learned, and I think you you know this more than I do. That by sharing these thoughts with another person, in this case, me helping somebody through decade, I'm reminded again. It reminds me of what I've learned and what I really and what I need to continue to focus on to shoot the lowest scores I can. And I, I'd sort of forgotten that coaching gives you that. It gives you more. You, what you get, what I get back from talking to these players is. I get to hear what what they think of expectation management, and I get to remind myself what worked for me. Oh yeah, the coach is always uh, the the student is always the teacher. You know, as a coach, you're learning always ton. But just just to make sure that our, our listeners get it, because you and I get into decade, and I have uh, I worry that sometimes I get too inside it. But uh, what I think is so cool this year is that I'm going to have the perspective now that I'm not, if I'm a hundred yards from the green in the fairway and I hit it to 35 feet, 40 feet, great shot. Yeah, it's an amazing shot. Exactly. Exactly. Instead of like, oh man, I, I, didn't I pushed it, feet. I pulled it, or whatever. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. I mean, that and, and that expectation management, that just lightens things. It, it, it just makes it easier to understand, yeah, the best players in the world. Well, that's they the thing. I, I will tell you another thing quickly is that when I watch golf on TV now, I'm hyper aware you know, I'm a few years down the road in this. So I'm very aware of where that player was and where the shot ended up on the green. And I'm always like, see, that guy was 123. He's Justin Thomas. And he just hit it to 18 feet. That's a that's amazing for for us. You know, that I, I, there's so many of those. And that's really what those stats give you is if yeah. you're if you think you're supposed to chip it close all the time, watch television. They don't. They don't. They sink a lot of six to eight footers. You know, maybe they they obviously sink more than we do. They're they're very good at golf, but they're also putting on surfaces where a yeah, six footer is like a three footer. Oh, you it's know, pristine. It's, it's pristine. Perfect. The surfaces are different. The balls roll differently. And yes, they're the best players on earth. Um, but I, I don't mean as far as the listeners getting you know us getting too deep into decade. I think you know I, I've tried to make it sort of 
a high, not, not 30, I hate when people say this, a 30,000 foot view, but it's just a little bit of a, rather than the nerding of it, the, the intricacies of what decade says and what modifiers are, etc. And even in talking to these players I've been working with, I always say, listen, you know, Yes, there's a number that decades says, if you're this far from the hole, this is where you should be aiming. But I think the more important stuff in decade is this, is understanding that it's better to not lose strokes, that you're not out there trying to make birdies and how many, you know, that that not making doubles and triples really lowers. Your, <laughs> I know it sounds stupid, but it really I lowers know. your score. I know, but it's it's so interesting is that, I, and I'm sure maybe to a degree someone's going, oh, you know, it's like decade. Our references to decades become a drinking game. Um, <laughs> thank you. The, you. Did you whiff on that first one? It was the wrong one. <laughs> this, I don't know what the hell that was. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> I thought maybe you kind of like half hit the switch or something. No, no. But, Really, like, it's the more I become, it's like, you know, learning a new word, and I read a book and look it up, and then suddenly I see the word, you know, all over the place. Um, decade, it just is something, it's, it's a game changer right now. I really do think it is. It's, it's, it's bringing as, it's bringing this knowledge that, not that Fawcett uses this all the time, and I'm just going to borrow it. It's taking knowledge that, say, a 42-year-old 40, PJ Tour player has, from playing on the tour for two decades is giving to younger people and amateurs. So you could get it. Yeah. Well, it's and I think it really is changing the game. And, and that's why it's, it's so intriguing to the people like us. One of the things he says in many of the videos, you know, talking about the guys he works with Maverick McNeely and uh, doc Redman and D and, and basically he's been saying that, you know, what I'm showing you are, are some of the things that tour players do to lower their scores. Um, so to wrap things up, uh, one of our listeners, really great guy, uh, sent me, I just want to make sure I get the guy's name right. It's Craig. I think it's Hawksworth. Let me just do that. Yeah, great guy. Said, hey, I, I was listening to a bunch of podcasts with Fawcett. And Fawcett was on something called the Talking Greenkeeper. And I was like, okay. He said, yeah, you're, you're going to like this. So he sends me the, 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 um, the podcast. And then there's a, a spot at around the 55-minute mark where Scott Fawcett says this. If you like the artistry and bouncing a ball up to greens and you don't care what you shoot, then yeah, it probably does take some fun out of it. Me and my members and certainly my tour players, we like shooting lower scores. And it's funny, like this guy, Humble Howard, who we were on a podcast once. He's like, I stand for lower scores. I'm like, me too. Like, I'm sorry. What was that, Scott? Did you? Lower scores. And it's funny, like this guy, Humble Howard, who, who? And we were on a podcast once. He's like, I stand for lower scores. I'm like, me too. I'm sorry, Scott. I didn't lower quite scores. catch. That, and it's that, funny, like this guy, Humble Howard, who and we were on a podcast once. He's like, I stand for lower scores. I'm like, me too. Like, there you go. So <laughs> I've been listening that over and over again. <laughs> I can hear it. Imagine the first time you stand. Did you hear that? He said my name on another podcast. <laughs> right. Oh, my God. Scott likes me. He really likes me. Um. <laughs> Well, and I'm on I, you the know, inside with Scott Fawcett. I was so ex- well. I was tickled because he referenced. I mean, he 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 goes on in that podcast. I, I don't totally agree. I was going to play the rest of the clip because, but but 
that the idea of that forget the fact that it's cute that he mentioned me but that is the thing that every and craig is one of the people that i've talked to about decade they've heard me say that now enough and and it really is again like a lot of the things we're talking about on this show and decade in particular they're easy to understand they're just difficult to do in the moment. Cam Smith is a great example. Cam Smith knows better than that. He knows in retrospect that he almost blew that. It's just we all know what to do. And it's like a lot of things are like, we all know the right thing to do. It's sometimes hard to do it. Oh, gosh. That's uh, that's so much of, of what fascinates me about this game and, and working with players is that logic says we should do certain things. You know, it's like George McNamara with me. He, you know, years, uh, three, four years ago, he said, Tim, just focus on getting more on top of the ball. Yeah, I know that. Okay. I mean, you know, coach golfers and stuff. Me, I go all over the map doing different things. That has nothing to do with logic. It has to do with my compulsive addicted brain to results. Yeah. And we get caught in, in our recurring behaviors and we just get sucked back like, quite frankly like addicts yeah and and, you know you're reading this book you were telling me before the show and i I love the title it's called the dopamine dopamine nation dopamine nation we're all uh uh, you know certainly a a culture of people that don't delay gratification we don't have to anymore we can get a dopamine hit you know i post something on twitter i get a dopamine hit if i i get some likes you know scott uh, scott fawcett referencing me gave me a dopamine hit the thing is you, you, I've, I've sort of taken a page out of your book. Years ago, I was talking to you about what you do when you onboard a client. And you say, well, one of the things we talk about first is I get them to tell me why they play golf. And I've started adopting a, a version of that. Basically, I get somebody to tell me about their golf game. And then I ask them what their goals are. And then I say to them, okay, well, if that's what you want, let's talk about the things you need to do that line up with that which is where, you know, my phrase, I stand for lower scores. But the full quote is, I stand for lower scores at any point in the round, at any point, I'm sorry, at any point in a hole, at any point in the round. And it's key to, because here's the thing, we all, you know, we start a round of golf, everything is great. But as often happens, and you've made this point, that swing thought you had, something happens on the third or fourth hole, it goes away, and all of a sudden you start making decisions that aren't about shooting a lower score. They're about fixing your swing that worked on the range and how come it, you know, all the other shit we talk about. Looking for the dopamine hit. Looking for the hit. But there's a delayed gratification in trying to do the right thing strokes gained wise on every swing. Because as you know from dipping your toe in a decade, that it's not about full shots. It really is about a percentage play on every shot. Now, that might take some of the artistry away. Like, oh, I'd like to skippity-doodle this thing under the tree and up on the over <laughs> by there. And that's cool. Yeah, That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But then don't wonder why you shot 83 when you thought you should have shot 77. Because those six shots are you making decisions, trying to sink a 35-footer, trying to go under the tree, that have nothing to do with shooting the lowest score you can. Love it. Love it. So we're, we're wrapping up, but I think we should really take a deeper dive into, into this. But it's one oh, of the things. Of course. And it's funny, like this guy, Humble Howard, who we were on a podcast. Was- I'm sorry. I thought you wanted me to play that again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, well done, young man. Um, 
No, it's like it's having what we call the long view. So people who, uh, quite frankly, who are addicted to things like it could be, you know, cannabis, alcohol, porn, whatever. If they take a look, say, where do I want to be in five years from now? They'll that is amazing. It's amazing what happens to our brain in terms of ability to to say, no, I'm not going to do this. But people who are say people who are in poverty, they they're among the most addicted people because they can't see beyond a couple of days. Mm-hmm. And it's the same with all the way we behave as humans and our, and our brains work is that if we don't have, say, perspective, long view goals, things we want to get to, then it's so much easier for us to give in to that quick hit of dopamine that we're looking for. Uh, and that's why, you know, I we've talked now on 190 shows, like, you know, I was a pretty good golf swinger. I had a pretty good golf swing for most of my golf life, and yet I was always searching for somebody to give me the tip that the would secret. lead me to the secret that would lead me to a golf swing that would get me to a golf score that I thought I deserved. And then as soon as that tip or secret didn't work, I was off to see the next one. Exactly. And, you know, I've used this phrase a few times that you can't golf swing your way to a lower score. You just can't. I don't care how good your golf swing is. That isn't where the answer is. And that was my problem. Like a lot of people, I was just looking in the wrong spot. Yeah, well, welcome. Thank you for confirming your humanity. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the problem with it is we're all Even looking- though you did get mentioned by Scott Fawcett. No, you're I still a human. Barely. Uh, thank you very much to uh, Charles Fitzsimmons and uh, Andy from NeuroPeak Pro. Charlie, of course, you can... Uh, we'll hear him again here on the program. Tim O'Connor, Nate and Tim, uh, their excellent adventure begins when? April 8th. Uh, quiet mind golf better golf through inner mastery uh, check out my website o'connorgolf.ca for information and just sign up um, yeah that's not too late by the way I kind of ran into Nate the other day he's excited to work with you as uh, I understand which is understandable I said hey look at you and me friends of O'Connor um, but I just want to make sure that people understand if you sign up now you want to talk about something that's going to make a, a long view uh, performance improvement is this uh, seminar Quiet Mind Golf, O'ConnorGolf.ca uh, is where you'll find out more. But sign up soon and get, because I'll tell you, man, the stuff that Timmy and Nate are going to be working on, and it, it really couldn't, it's a very reasonable price for a season-long map or pathway to improvement. So go check that out. Uh, and I'll just tell you, if you want to, again, I don't, I'm not going to steal this uh, from my friend, the retirement Sherpa, but if you're looking for somebody to decade Sherpa you through the process, I'd be happy to do it because I learned so much in talking about this stuff. Thanks to TaylorMade Golf, Jonathan Wong Apparel, and uh, you, Mr. O'Connor, for 190 of these. Yeah, we're gaining on the 200. We're going to get there soon. And uh, by the yeah. way, our uh, new season, so we're taping this on the, the 25th of March, as Tim said. Our brand new season where we'll start to do a show every week begins April 8th, the week of the Masters. Uh, and hopefully we're all outside by then. See you next time. 